Okay. Um, we are in Revelation chapter 2. Is that right? I think that's right. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Um, so, um, so this week, uh, taught a course at the seminary, and uh, we covered Revelation in one day. So we're going a little bit slower than uh, than they uh, than they are, uh, but uh, but nonetheless, that's okay. So we've been uh, working in the Book of Revelation now for a while, at least working in passages that kind of build up to uh, the Book of Revelation. So. So we're going to take a time out while we. Uh... <laughs> oh, um, hold on. I've got to turn on my uh, up there. I mean. Um... Yeah, i got to turn the up there on. So so we've got a. Uh... Okay, so there we go. There we go. All right. So now uh, you folks online are being broadcast to the, to the world here. Okay, um, book of Revelation. Uh, let's turn, let, let me show you a couple passages before we get to Revelation. So turn to John. Uh, this will, um, so uh, John, uh, the uh, Upper Room Discourse, this John is, that's John 13 through 17. Okay, um, so just briefly in the Gospel of John. John presents Jesus through his words and works. Um, and those words and works are presented in the first 11 chapters. The signs that Jesus does are in the first 11 chapters. Um, and then uh, chapter uh, chapter 13 is the uh, upper room discourse, where Jesus now explains to his disciples what he's been doing. And because you get to read along, you get to understand what Jesus has been doing. Jesus has appeared, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, his disciples, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. And so uh, what the disciples witnessed through Jesus' words and works, now they are being commissioned to go out and take the word given to them, the word that uh, gives eternal life, uh, was, uh, that has now been given to them, they are going to take it out into the world. Okay, and so. That's what actually the Gospel of John is, is the recording of John's recording of Jesus' words and works done among them. And then the explanation of the disciples being sent out to be the witnesses of the word, um, which is why uh, the, the purpose of the book is, is in chapter 20, verse 30. Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you, the reader, uh, would believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you would have life in his name. And then you've got chapter 21. Chapter 21 is the disciples are fishing. Well, why do we need to know this? Because what are they not doing? Yeah, they're not shepherding the word. They're not tending the flock. They are back to fishing. And so they are um, uh, they're reinstated, so to speak. And so they're going to do their job. Okay, so in chapters thirteen through seventeen of the Gospel of John, this is where uh, we call it the upper room discourse. Um, actually, they're only in the upper room in chapters thirteen and fourteen. At the end of chapter fourteen, Jesus says, "Arise, let us go from here." And so then the rest of the quote upper room discourse is is Jesus and the disciples heading towards uh, from the upper room. Kind of across Jerusalem, across town, across Temple Mount, down the Kidron Valley, and in chapter 18, then they arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so um, so at the end of uh, chapter 13, um, Simon Peter said to him, "This is in 1336. Uh, where I am, uh, where are you going?" He says, "Where I go, you cannot follow me." Uh, but uh, uh, now, but uh, you will afterwards, right? So, so this is Christ is going to the Father. He's going to leave them in the world, um, and just as the Father sent him into the world, so he's sending them into the world. 
Well, the one who receives the Father, uh, receives them, receives the one who sent them, right? So the one who receives the disciples, receives the one who sent the disciples, who's that? Jesus. And the one who sends, or, uh, receives Jesus, receives the one who sent Jesus, the Father, right? So the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the apostles, that's what apostles mean. Uh, and so, uh, so Jesus in chapter 17 is going to pray not only for these, the apostles, but for all those who will believe in me through their work. Okay. So uh, chapter uh, in chapter 16, Jesus uh, is explaining what's going to happen um, after his departure. Uh, actually, it starts in chapter 15. These things they will do to you uh, 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 for my name's sake, because you uh, because they don't know you. So um, uh, I'm in 1521. Um, um, when the helper uh, comes, verse 26, whom I will send you uh, send to you from the Father. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. Um, uh, that is the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness of me, and you will also bear witness of me. All right, so the Spirit is going to bear witness, uh, as well as the disciples are going to bear witness of the person of Christ. And he's going to continue this. Um, uh, these things I have spoken to you so uh, to keep you from stumbling will make you outcasts in the synagogue. Right? John's going to write about this in Second John, Third John, uh, and this is the subject of the discussion in First John. Right. So this is all of John's writing uh, is about this. Okay. So uh, the synagogue uh, they are the synagogue of Satan. Okay. But, uh, that's we're going to see this in the letters in chapter two and chapter three. The Jews are going to reject the apostles' words um, and reject the Son. Okay? Uh, therefore, they are of the synagogue of Satan because if you reject the apostles, you reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you reject the Father. In 1 John, he who has the Father has the Son. He who rejects the Son uh, rejects both the Father and the Son. Okay? Uh, and he continues. Uh, to explain that the Holy Spirit will come to them, the Helper. Uh, if he doesn't uh, go to the Father, then the Helper won't come to them. Uh, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come to them so that they will be able to call to remembrance all that he said to them. This is the Helper from chapter 14, verse 26. Okay, Because he has revealed his words to them, and they have witnessed his works. And even in the Gospel, they don't understand a lot of what's going on, but afterwards they will through the ministry of the Spirit, so that they can tell others through their eyewitness accounts. Making sense? Um, they're actually going, the disciples are actually going to receive the Holy Spirit in chapter 20. Jesus is going to breathe on them and tell them uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Continues. Uh, he explains what this ministry of the Spirit will do when it comes. Uh, it will uh, convict the world of sin, chapter 16, verse 8. Um, concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. He says, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you all in all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He will disclose to you what is to come. Who's writing this book? John. What's the book of Revelation? explanation of things to come, right? So all, so, um, all the way through this, uh, these, these books, uh, I was telling students this week, you've got to keep your hoops straight, right? Um, so the Father sends the Son, who is the incarnate Word, uh, the Word that is given to the Son, which he hears from the Father, he gives to the disciples, that Word gives life, it says there's life in the Father, so also there's life in the Son, and to uh, and life to whomever he chooses. So now the, the apostles are entrusted with the words of life, and they're being sent out into the world to proclaim the word which produces fruit, fruit for eternal life. That's what fruit is in the Gospel of John, producing fruit for eternal life. So um, uh, the Spirit is not, so it's being revealed to the apostles, and this is the Gospel uh, that gives life and the apostles are going to be entrusted with that which is to come. This is what the book of Revelation is. Okay? So, uh, 
that's going to be helpful uh, when we get to chapter two and chapter three. Um, when we're talking about the letters to the seven churches. Um, one more uh, thing that probably needs to be explained. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, this uh, actually begins back in chapter, uh, in the upper room, this was chapter 14. Um, I have many things, uh, I will not speak much more to you for the ruler of the world is coming, he has nothing with me. Uh, and then chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, chapter 15, verse 18, this is after he explains, you didn't choose me, I chose you, uh, talking to his disciples again. Uh, if the world hates you all, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Does that make sense? If they kept my word, they'll keep you. Why? Why if they kept my word, they will keep yours also? The same word, right? It's the word of the Father. But all these things they will do to you. Um, uh, and so uh, chapter uh, 17, uh, then, um, I am no longer in the world. I've given them uh, your word. Um, uh, they have kept your word. They believed your word. And now he's sending them out into the world. Um, and so uh, the world uh, hates me. They will hate you. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. How does Christ overcome the world? Okay, keep going. By dying on the cross. No, keep going. Rose again. There you go. Rose again. Okay. Uh, uh, you'll see this, and I was pointing this out. It's in every single epistle. Okay. Uh, in uh, Hebrews, let me uh, show you, uh, for example, a verse here in, uh, in Hebrews. Um, and it's the motivation for why these believers uh, no longer have uh, any, uh, um, or to have any uh, fear, uh, is because um, uh, the uh, the son has, uh, has died, has res been resurrected, and has overcome the devil, and the keys of Hades have been given to him. I'm not uh, seeing it. Uh, this it's in chapter. Let me make sure here. Chapter. In chapter four, well, it's in chapter four, it's in chapter five, it's in chapter six. Um, but this is the um, uh, this is uh, the, the motivation, the reason for why the believer uh, has hope. Okay? It is because Christ has yeah, overcome what? Overcome death, overcome the grave, and so the, uh, and so death has no hold. Uh, now, what we're going to see, so go over to, to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, in every one of these uh, letters to the seven churches, okay? So remember, um, John is told in 119, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. So 1, 1 through 18 is the things which he has seen. Uh, then uh, chapter 2 and 3, the things which are, the letters to the seven churches. And then the things which will take place after these things. And so chapter four begins with after these things I will stand the whole. Okay. So after these things. Okay. So chapter uh, two, uh, I want you to look at verse seven. Uh, the letter to verse to the Ephesians is uh, is one through seven. Uh, look at the end of verse seven, to him who overcomes. Okay. Now this isn't talking about Christ, it's talking about the believer. Okay. So Christ has over overcome through resurrection. How does the believer overcome? Through word, through faith, in, to, overcome death. Uh, uh, letter to Smyrna, uh, 8 through 11. Uh, last verse, verse 8, or verse 11. He who overcomes, right? The church to Pergamum, down through uh, verse uh, 17. He who overcomes. The, the message to the church at Thyatira, uh, verse 26. 
he who overcomes. The church to Sardis, 3.5, he who overcomes. And the Philadelphia, uh, verse 12, he who overcomes. The message to the Laodiceans, verse 21, he who overcomes. And so all of the letters to all seven churches, uh, they are encouraged to persevere in the midst of whatever is going on at their church. Um, because one who overcomes is going to receive these promises, okay, this inheritance, right? And that's going to be through every every letter of the seven churches. Does that make sense? Okay, we good? Everybody tracking so far? Okay. So um, so let's let's look at the first letter. Okay, uh, this is the letter to the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Right okay. now, um, the word angel. I don't know if we said this. Uh, okay, it all runs together because I'm I, I can't remember who I thought said the word. I just I'm not repeating myself. So if people start mumbling, okay, like, people are like what? Looking at you like blank there. Okay. That's a good thing to do the Bible. Oh, repeat yourself all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, so, so briefly, the word angelos is the Greek word angelos, um, which when you, uh, there's actually two G's together, and when you have two G's together in Greek, the first G becomes an M, so it's A G G E L O S. Uh, but the way you pronounce that is when two G's are together, this is more than two. Okay. Uh, when two uh, G's are together, then the first G uh, makes an M sound on the line, right? So you're going to, this is why when uh, students begin taking Greek at the seminary and they start learning vocabulary, like, oh man, this is going to be easy. Angelos, angel. I'm a Greek scholar. Well, it gets a lot more difficult. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, the word just means messenger. Okay, so if if someone in the first century, speaking in Greek, said uh, sent a messenger, they would call that messenger an angelos. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean they're sending an angel or someone with angelic personality. And it just it, it just Okay. In the, so in the context, sometimes, uh, uh, if, if your Bible says messenger, right, um, that's probably either the word angelos if it's New Testament, or if it's in the Old Testament, it's malach, which is also the same thing, it means a messenger. But sometimes these are supernatural uh, beings, uh, and so, so we call them angels. Does that make sense? Now, so a messenger can either be uh, a a spiritual being or a man. Okay. Um, same thing with apostle. Apostle just means one son. Okay. So um, Jesus is referred to as an apostle, a sent one. Um, uh, the, the apostle and high priest of our faith. Okay. He was sent from the Father. So he's called an apostle because he was sent by the Father, but then the, the Father sends. His disciples, his followers, and they become sent ones apostles. Uh, and so you will also see this language. Uh, Paul uh, is not only an apostle with a big A, entrusted uh, with his, but because of his personal um, calling of Christ and eyewitness account, uh, but also he is little A apostle, which means sent, you know, like a missionary. Good. Okay. So uh, there are two basic. Uh, Two views to who's being referred to here: this angel of the church at Ephesus. It could be an actual angel, right? Um, evidence for that would be the seven spirits before the throne. And I told you, uh, I don't know what those are. Uh, my inclination is the seven spirits before the throne, because you're talking about seven lampstands, uh, seven stars, uh, seven flames. Probably all referring to these, these churches. Um, but is are they literally before the, the throne or not? I don't know. So, so I tend to think that these are literal angels. However, uh, if you're reading the commentary or hear somebody say, um, uh, these also uh, could be messengers to the church, physical human messengers. Who would that be? The messenger to the church. Could be the preacher, right? The preacher. Okay. So, um, um, so to the messenger of the church. Take it however you want. I, I don't know the particular one. Right? To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who hops, walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this 
I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men, and you have put to test uh, the, uh, those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. Did you catch that? Those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. How would they put them to test? Do their words match the words of Jesus? Do they match the words of the prophets of the Old Testament? Uh, there's none of that going on today, right? People running around calling themselves apostles. Right? So how do you put them to the test? Do their words match the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, the words of the prophets? Um, uh, same thing with the prophets. Someone calls themselves a prophet. Even on the 13, there are standards by which you are to measure biblically the words of the prophets. Okay? Uh, but they are not, and you have found them to be false. And uh, you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake, and have not grown weary. Now, in the first century, what was going on in the church? Being persecuted for the faith, persecuted by who? Well, uh, starting with the Jews, and then it goes to the Romans. Well, uh, that word perseverance, endure, you're going to see this in almost every letter the apostles write. Um, it's in Romans. Uh, it is in Corinthians, first and second. Um, Galatians, it's in Galatians. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, first Peter, second Peter, Hebrews. Um, all, uh, why do the, the believers need to endure? Yeah, yeah, it's in the Gospels. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, this is what Paul's going to say, are going to be first Peter, no suffer. Uh, Peter's going to say it's unjust. It's not just. But you endure anyway. Uh, so uh, I explained to the class that, um, that there's nothing going on in this world that is just. Injustice is everywhere you look. But that shouldn't surprise followers of Christ. And so we put our trust in God who judges righteously. How does he judge righteously? And when does he judge righteously? So, so God has entrusted judgment to his son. His son is going to return, and he's going to pour out his wrath on all mankind. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now I, got a, I was talking with a pastor yesterday. We were talking, kind of hanging over the bed of the truck, and we were talking about what he was just talking about. And he was like, yeah, I just want to... Um, you know, we'll be watching the news, and I'll say, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have any, any problem being the executioner, the one who pushes the switch for to electrocute people. I'd kind of toggle it a little bit to make it suffer. <laughs> you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to go beat them almost to death. I, I think death is a cop out. You know, so, so my tendency is to just, I just want to beat them, right? You know, some guy's over here in the, in the church, and he's, he's beating his wife. Yeah, I think that the men's ministry, not, there's nothing biblical about this. So this is what I want to do. Right? <laughs> I want the men's ministry uh, to go knock on the guy's house, drag him out in the yard, and he needs to decide if it's a come-to-Jesus meeting or a go-to-Jesus meeting. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, so then I settle down, uh, and, uh, and, I ha and I realize uh, that, uh, that our job is not to take justice into our own hands, as hard as that is, but when vengeance is mine, I will replace the Lord. Uh, and so don't uh, make the mistake of thinking that just because they're, they're getting away with injustice, that they're going to get away with injustice forever. The judge is coming. Uh, you know, and so this is the second Peter's, as we say, Peter and second Peter. Yeah, well, in Ezekiel, the Lord actually brings justice in the form of the Babylon. Right? Remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk, he says, Lord, um, I don't know if you're paying attention. This is a translation. Uh, Lord, I don't know if you're paying attention to this. Apparently, you aren't. Uh, but uh, Jerusalem is evil. This place is evil. And the Lord says, I'm on it. What do you mean you're on it? 
Oh, I'm bringing the Babylonians to wipe you off the map. No, <laughs> wait a second. You're not going to uh, judge the right or the wicked with the more wicked, are you? This is all I am. Uh, uh, well, then what? Well, then I'm going to judge the wicked for judging the wicked. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so, in all of this, uh, the saint is to endure, persevere. Right? Well, I want to whip everybody. Yeah, I just want to fight. Yeah. Um, and I'm even okay with that. See, <laughs> in, my, in, in, my, in, the, in my core, uh, we, we found this, uh, we found this, uh, I don't know if you saw this on, on Facebook, I, I did, I try not to repost stuff because I get in trouble at work, right, because uh, they don't want me to repost this stuff, but when I really identified with this guy, he was a criminal, he was a prisoner, he was actually uh, in prison serving time, and he killed his, uh, his soulmate, right, and uh, so now he's standing before the judge, and this is what this, this is video of him standing before the judge, or sitting before the judge, and um, and it turns out that his cellmate was a child molester, and his child, and he was explaining uh, that this guy was telling about how he molested children, he was bragging about it, and said, you need to shut up. Right? You need to shut up. Well, he kept going. And so uh, so he said before the judge, and I'm summarizing, I don't know exactly, but basically says, uh, judge, you know, I've got some emails, and I've heard some from people who say, who do you think you are? Um, you know, you're not the judge. And he says, so that we're clear, I recognize I am not the judge. God is the judge. I just set up the appointment. <laughs> See, I, I can sympathize with that. that I'm, yeah, I, I can justify that, right? Uh, but, you know, but then I kind of come to my senses and I calm down and I, uh, and sometimes it takes longer uh, than it should. And I say, okay, um, vengeance is mine. I will replace as the Lord. Uh, don't forget, you know, over there, they're, they're mocking the Lord. They're saying, you know, they're, uh, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, saying, where is the promise of the coming? It all exists as it has from the beginning. And when they maintain this, this is in Second uh, Second uh, Peter chapter 2. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the Lord's already judged the earth now. He created uh, the earth out of the water, and then he judged it by the water, and this present earth is being reserved for fire. He judged it again. So don't let this uh, escape your notice, beloved. The Lord is not slow about judgment, as some count slow. Our teachers, the mockers, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish for all the punishment. And so turn from your desire to take it in your own hands. Beat them up a little bit. Then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, you know, a few blows in anyway. Right? Uh, uh, no, no. Um, resist the urge. If you got to go vent, get it out of your system. Come back to your senses, right? Uh, and realize that vengeance is mine. I will pay. And so this is all the way through the scriptures, starting with uh, Abel. Remember Abel? Cain kills Abel. And Abel's blood was crying from the ground for what? For justice. Justice. Well, that's what we want is justice. Because uh, we don't make the mistake of calling what's happening just somehow. It's not. There's no, there's no justice in any of it. But we keep entrusting ourselves just as Christ did. This is important. Uh, uh, Christ uh, suffered at the hands of wicked men. Yes? Completely, yes? To the point of death. Even death on the cross, right? He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteousness. And so right before that example, uh, Peter says, for you were called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leading you an example to follow in his steps. And so it's, um, it is our, in our nature to, to desire justice. First of all, it's in our nature to define justice the way we want to define it, and then exact justice on others with our definition. Okay, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, uh, one of my students asked me, said, well, what if uh, this was happening to your family? I said, no, I, you know, some injustice, you know, something was happening to your family. I said, you know, I'd still be upset. No question about that. I, I may take matters into my own hands. I, I would, I would, but I, 
in some ways, I think I can handle it better because I've been teaching this, we've been teaching this for our family since the get-go. And so do we actually believe that the righteous judge is going to make it right? Um, now, uh, in the church, uh, we don't tolerate this. Right? Uh, Peter's or Paul's going to say, what do I have to do with judging the world? But justice, judgment ought to start within the community of God. So if we see injustice in our mind, uh, in the church, we fix that. Good? So, all the way through this, this isn't just John saying this uh, through the message uh, of God to those who are in Ephesus. This is consistent throughout all six epistles. Uh, from the very beginning, Genesis to the very end, the believer is to endure, have perseverance, hupomeno. And by the way, just before we leave that, um, both, both um, James in, first, in James chapter 1 and Paul in Romans chapter 5, use this exact same word. It may be translated as endurance or perseverance, depending on your translation, but the word is hupomenal. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, tests, trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that, that word testing, is a, it's a smelting word, you know what smelting means? It's a refining, it's melting metals to get out impurities. Uh, that the refining of your faith works for endurance and let endurance have its perfect work but you will be perfect and put back in so in other words when you endure and you keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously your faith is perfected okay? in the midst of trials and paul says uh even in the midst of tribulation chapter five of one right goes through the exact same thing so the reason why your faith grows in the bad times is because that's by design so that you will remove your hope from stuff you shouldn't have your hope in and place your hope in the return of Christ and when the judge comes. Right? So resist the urge to pitch a fit. I'm still trying to do that. I'm not very good at it. It's very hard. Right? Um, okay, so uh, he says, uh, so uh, you have persevered and have endured for my namesake, verse 3, and have not grown weary, but I do have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, that... Uh, uh, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, uh, you hate the deeds of the, the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, who are the Nicolaitans? Um, here, there's a few times, very few, where you have to go back to uh, study, you know, unearthed and there are people who devote their whole lives to trying to find texts to talk about the Nicolaitans. So their whole life is waking up day after day after day to try to figure out who these Nicolaitans are. Praise the Lord, there's someone who wants to do that every day. It's not me. Okay. Um, but there was a heresy in the early church uh, that they were teaching uh, that you could do whatever you want because of forgiveness. Um, and there's some indication that this is tied to um, Nicholas, who was one of the deacons appointed in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. So we've had trouble making deacons from the beginning. We've had trouble people from the beginning in the church. This is standard, uh, standard fit, right? And which is, shouldn't surprise us. So we're always going back to the teaching of the apostles and Paul. Does that make sense? All right. Um, um, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, tree of life. Where'd that thing show up? That's in Genesis chapter uh, 2, right? Um, they were commanded not to eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and uh, there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. So there's some debate on whether it's the same tree or two different trees. Right? But nonetheless, don't eat from uh, don't eat them. In chapter 3, they're banished from the garden, uh, lest they send forth their hand and take and eat from the tree of life and live forever. That's where the first time 
in the Bible the phrase eternal life comes from. So man actually kicks, uh, God actually banishes man from the garden, lest they send forth their hand and take an eat from the tree and have eternal life, live forever. So they're going, they're going to, be, they're going to die, be resurrected with this new heart, new character, uh, and then they will partake in the tree of life, and that's in the level we're going to see that in Revelation twenty-one, twenty-two. All right. So to the one who overcomes, you will be in paradise, uh, eating from the tree of life. Now, is that just for them, or would this be for everybody? Yeah, every believer uh, whose name is found written in the Lamb's book of life. Will be there as well. We know that because we know the whole story. Good. Now, as you're going through and collecting these to the one who overcomes, uh, uh, remember John isn't just writing this letter only to that church. The, this book of Revelation is sent out to the seven churches. So each of the seven churches reads what he says to the other churches as well. So these promises to the seven churches, the overcomers, they're going to get the benefit from all of these um, overcoming statements. Does that make sense? All right, good. To the angel at, uh, at the church of Smyrna, right. The first and the last who was dead who, who and who has come to life. Who's that? Good. says, I know your tribulation. Uh, this is the same word that Paul uses for tribulations. Uh, we, not only this, we rejoice in our tribulations, but our tribulations. I'll bring him out through the character, through the character, and I'm going to do it. Tribulations. And your poverty, but you are rich. Okay, poverty, but you are rich. You're going to get this all the way through the Bible. Um, Satan has a definition for rich. What is it? Cash money. Um, and Satan's definition of poor would be have no money. Does God has a, have a definition of rich? Does that have anything to do with money? No. Okay, so don't miss that as you're reading through here. The Pharisees' theology is we serve God, therefore we are blessed and we are rich. But what do they mean when they say that? Whose definition of rich are they using? Say, um, this is Job's friends. Job well, must have done something. Uh, because uh, God blesses those uh, who serve Him. Well, that's true. God does bless those who serve Him. Uh, but your definition of blessing is important as well. It's not cash money. Okay. Uh, so, um, in the book of James, so I was teaching the book of James this week, and in the book of James, uh, you have this, uh, these, apparently these people are making oaths. Uh, they're appealing to the law. And saying, because we serve God, therefore we will be blessed. They're appealing to the law. Uh, they're swearing by heavens and by earth, right? That's the, the way, that's the language back in Deuteronomy 42 that the law was instituted. God calls the witnesses of the heavens and the earth uh, to, uh, to be the witnesses in this agreement between Israel and the church, or Israel and, uh, and God. With it. And so they're saying, look, we have to guarantee from God that if we serve him, we will be blessed. The problem is they changed the definition of blessing. Cash money, right? Um, and so um, if you are uh, uh, if you are in if you're suffering, what do you do? This is the end of James. What do you do? Pray. Pray the Lord. Um, now, this is all in the context, in a Jewish context, this is um, Deuteronomy chapter 15, if uh, there shall be no uh, poor among you. Um, and then that's 15.4, and then in 15.11, the poor shall always be among you. Well, wait a second, what, what's that? Right? Uh, the poor, uh, so you shall have no poor among you, uh, because you're supposed to care for them. Right? This is Boaz. If Boaz has, he's along with means, and he sees this orphan, widow, alien, poor woman in his field, he says, oh, man, I've hit the jackpot. This is my day. I get to represent the character of God. Uh, and so uh, if you see your poor brother in any of the cities that your Lord your God is giving to you, uh, you shall not, uh, your heart shall not be hardened towards your poor brother, and you shall not close your hand towards your poor brother, but you shall lend to him sufficient for whatever he lacks. And it's lend. But 
beware. Lest there be this base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near. And that's the year that every seven years all the all of the debts were forgiven in Israel, right? And so you're at you know six years and six months, and you're going, I'm not getting this back. And so your heart is hardened towards your brother and your hand is closed towards him, and you give him nothing. Because your motivation is not helping your brother who's in need, but it's keeping the cash for yourself, like getting it back. Keep it normal. Then uh, your poor brother will cry out to the Lord, and it will be sent in you. And so if, if the brother is suffering, he has to cry out to the Lord. Uh, and how is his need provided for? What cash falls out of heaven? Well, others in the body of Christ and now. So if you have, if you're suffering, if you're in need, pray. Um, if you see your brother in need, do you need to pray? No. You don't need to pray, you need to help. That's in your power. Um, if you, uh, if you're rejoicing, you know, if you've got means, great. But be like Boaz. You're on the lookout for someone to help. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right? Don't take any pride in it. Uh, but you see your brother, you want to go. Make sense? Like, good? Okay. All right. So, um, so this tribulation, uh, you are uh, rich. Uh, you're in poverty, but you're rich. Um, that's okay. We, uh, has God not caused the poor to be rich in faith? James chapter 1. Um, uh, and uh, so you're, uh, you're, I, I know your, your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay? So... John's going to say this, Paul's going to say this, not all Israel is Israel because not all Israel believe. Um, you're not a son of Abraham because you are a physical descendant through flesh, but you're son of Abraham through faith. They were not from us because they were not really of us, first John. All right? They're all saying the same thing. Okay? So do not fear what you're about to suffer. Why not? I'm in uh, 2.10. Uh, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Now, if you know anything about the first the, the first century church, what did they suffer? Yeah, they, they got to play with the lion. Wasn't that a great deal? They got to be impaled. Uh, they suffered great tribulation, even to the point of death. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you may be tested. That word for tested. Um, Consider it all joined by brethren when you encounter various trials or tests. Because what does the test do? Refine your faith. So, um, um, so okay, hang in there. Uh, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death. Why? Um, and I will give you the crown of life. Because... Uh, Later, uh, it's going to talk about the second death. The second death has no power over you. How many people go through the first death? Everybody. How many people go through the second death? Unbelievers. So, um, can you get out of the first group? No? So, what are your choices here? Um, maybe. Yeah. You know, um, what do we mean by death? Yeah, let's, let, well, let's define death. Um, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, the old bones, you know, your your breath leaves your body. You're separated from the body, okay? um, and the flesh goes to the earth, and it decays and rots. Resurrection. Okay? So uh, this is what Jesus says to. Mary and Martha in uh, John chapter 11. Right? Uh, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. That makes sense to you? He dies. You know, physical. Spirit goes with the Lord, the body's gone. Okay? 
So now you are dead. Uh, your spirit is alive with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But then in resurrection, what happens? The body is raised anew, and the spirit then indwells the body, and the resurrected again, never up to undergo the second death. So the first the first death is not the one to fear. It's not great, right? But lost upon a one, like the death of one professor. Uh, the second death is the one that you don't want to be a part of. Okay. Uh, and so, be faithful unto death. Why? Remember in, uh, this is in John chapter, yeah, this is in John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus is teaching, all the disciples are leaving him, and, and uh, they say, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. Who can, who can endure it? And he says, um, are you going to leave too? Remember what Peter says? Where else will we go? Only you have the words of, of life, of eternal life. Right? What's your choice here? You got no choice. So you just endure. Right? You can trust in yourself for the one who does it faithfully. Endure. Hang in there. Don't fear uh, the, uh, the, the first death. Why not? Because Jesus overcame. And if he overcame, he laid down his life and took it up again. Uh, we get the assurance of overcoming death through your faith in the one who overcomes. So we overcome by faith in the one who overcame. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. There you go. Making sense? Okay. Now, um, is this uh, relevant to us today? Oh, yeah. This would apply to all believers in all places and all time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Good. I don't know if y'all on, on the line heard all that, so let me briefly repeat it. So her daughter is um, concerned about this eternal life, and I think that what she's doing is she's equating eternal life for eternal sorrow and suffering. Yeah, like the life we have now. This this is not it. Um, see, again, we've got to go back to our definitions. Okay. So what we call life, that's not what the Bible calls life. This isn't life. This isn't living. This is dying. Right? So death is now. Dying is now. Uh, death is removal of physical representation on the earth. Physical. The, the spirit leaves. The body goes into the death. So when is life? Life is to come. Resurrection of the dead, eternal life. Now, um, so what we're going to watch later in the book of Revelation is there's these people who are gathered in front of the throne, and you've probably been told, you know, it's going to be great, we're going to be singing songs, you're playing cloud golf. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're asking, how long? How long until you judge? How long until you vindicate our blood? How long until you make this right? How long until justice comes? And he tells them, be patient, wait a little longer. Um, and so we are to recognize that, uh, that the patience of the Lord is to be regarded as his mercy. Right? If he came back and wiped out the place now, who all would perish in the way? How many of your friends? Your, uh, uh, and so um, he is patient. Uh, he is patiently enduring much injustice in his creation. Um, remember the Lord's Prayer. Thy uh, kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where it's headed. Uh, but there are still those who are yet to believe. And so we regard uh, his not coming as patience. 
his mercy. Right? And so we let God. Now this is, I mean, again, it's so easy. I don't like India. So I don't like India. Oh, God, I'd have wiped us over the most long time ago. Uh, I'd have saved the sun, and that was it. Me and the sun. You people, of course, I would have been on mission, so I wouldn't even made you people, right? <laughs> or me, right? <clears throat> so God's God, he's got it under control. He's got trust Um, so the, the new heavens and new earth, this is when he's going to wipe away everything. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, and everything that was lost at the fall. Look forward to throughout the whole story will ultimately be restored. Right? And then there will be true life. It won't be real. And justice and stuff we got to talk about. Okay? Oh, yeah. This is where I'd point to Mike and say, hey, Mike, me and you, we're going to be good looking. <laughs> we're going to be skinny and young and good looking forever. And he would say, I already am good looking. <laughs> so we could even, uh, yeah, we got, yeah, we got Mike. We know what Mike would say. That's why I point to Mike. Okay, good. Okay, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel, uh, Crown of life. Um, uh, so the uh, the crown of life. Um, you'll see this uh, throughout um, uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, when Paul writes to Timothy, uh, so turn back to sec <clears throat> Second Timothy. Excuse me. <coughs> Second Timothy, and this goes throughout the uh, uh, the, the scriptures. Um, uh, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. Departure meaning death. He's going to, yeah, he's at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So you can see this crown of life, a crown of righteousness. Um, he equates uh, life and righteousness with uh, this, uh, uh, both in First Timothy and Second Timothy. Uh, he's pressing on to uh, life, eternal life. Not that he's so he has attained righteousness through faith, and so through faith he's got the crown of righteousness, which is also the crown of life. Okay? It is this assurance of resurrection from the dead, eternal life. Um, <clears throat> Um, so in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but all those who loved his appearance. So this, this crown of righteousness is uh, this reward, crown of life. Right? Uh, and so apparently, as you go through the scriptures, the saints are given crowns. Uh, and then what do they do with those crowns? So this crown of eternal life, uh, they say, they recognize they didn't deserve it. They didn't do it. It's not their works. It is the works done through the mercy of God. And so they cast them back at the uh, feet of the king. Right? Uh, and so I think we've kind of messed up this rewards theology where you do stuff so that you can get future rewards. Well, if you're doing stuff to get stuff, that's not good in this life or the life to come. Uh, it's not going to work. Uh, and so I um, pointed out to the students this week, you know, I talk with one of the other professors all the time, and one of the things that we talk about quite a bit is, and bothers both of us, frankly, is that uh, in the uh, story of the Jesus uh, separating the, the sheep and the goats, and in that story of the separation, he rewards those because when I was hungry, you fed me, when I was thirsty, uh, you know. But the problem that we both have with that story is these people seem to be unaware that they did anything. When did we do that? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. 
and um, Charlie Bales were both agreeing that we're over here keeping score, which means we know when we did stuff, <laughs> which means there's no reward here. <laughs> you've got to be operating through this mercy, uh, and you're not keeping score. So the fount of life is just the reward of eternal life, resurrection. Uh, it, it is equivalent to uh, your name being found in the book of life. You're, you're given this crown, and in that town, you cast your crown. That seems to me that that's what it's Exactly right. Yeah, it's it's 100% motivation, which is why you can't beat it. I, I tell the students, I remember, I probably told you um, I'm thinking, I can beat this. I will choose to be last now so that I can be first in the kingdom. And if you think about that, it comes back to your motivation. Well, guess what? All you've accomplished is being last both times. <laughs> and, and then I don't give up. See, I'm like, wait, wait a second. Um, I think I can still beat it. I told you this. So I said, well, here's what I'll do. I will sacrificially go first now so that my brother will be last now so that he will be first in the kingdom, but actually that makes me better than him. So I'm trying to be first both times. I'm going, well, I don't work either. At least you're first the first time. But the second time, because your motivation, so you're still shot. I'm telling you, this is, this is the point. Right? Uh, it, it always comes back to your motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? And you can't beat that. Right? Uh, and so, um, so that's no fun, right? So this is why they, they, they recognize it was nothing that they did in and of themselves. It was only through the mercy given to them. Uh, and so they respond to that mercy that somehow they're given a crown which they don't deserve. And so they cast it back at the king's feet. Because he is already there now. Good. So you don't get to keep the crown. Okay. Revelation. So back to Revelation. So uh, uh, verse uh, 12. Uh, maybe we can get through the church of Pergamum and, uh, and then that's it. Uh, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write the one who has a sharp two edged sword. Uh, the sharp two edged sword is this, uh, is the Christ. It's uh, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 11. This sword that comes forth from his mouth. Um, um, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. And did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who uh, was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Uh, I have uh, a few things against you, because you uh, have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who keep teaching, uh, uh, who keep, uh, who kept teaching Balak, but uh, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, and to eat the things sacrificed to idols, and to commit. Morality. Okay, what is this Balaam Balak? Balaam was a prophet for hire. This is back in Numbers uh, the oracles of Balaam the prophet. Balak the king, who's a Gentile king, and he hires Balaam the prophet to pronounce a curse on Israel. Uh, and um, the short version is uh, the Lord will not curse what he has. Uh, Determined to build. Okay. Uh, and so a profit for hire, people who are in it for the cash, that you're going to see this all the way through. Um, this is going to also be refer referred to those, the motivation of those uh, false teachers in Second Peter. Uh, Balaam is going to be mentioned as well. So Balaam is never a good guy. He's always the profit for hire. And the motivation apparently here is that um, there are some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. There's this one of their myths too is a uh, you know, prophet for hire teaching the same things that they've always taught. If you're obedient, God will bless you. You don't want to go down that and, and then change the blessing, change the definition of blessing. Okay? Um, and this is a stumbling block. Now, the stumbling block, it's the same as the teaching for the Pharisees. And so, in all uh, of the Gospels, uh, the stumbling block uh, is. Uh, is the, the Christ is the one of whom they stumble over, 
but the stumbling block is the teaching of the Pharisees, which reintroduces this. If you're obedient, God will bless you theology back into the church. Um, and that's what James is talking about in James 2. Brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Uh, rich man comes in, they view him as blessed. Poor man comes in, not blessed. Right? And so um, they eat uh, uh, things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of idolatry or uh, immorality. Uh, thus, you have some in the way, uh, in, in the same way, uh, who hold to the same teaching, this teaching that there's no judgment for immorality, right? Live it up. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war uh, against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give uh, of the hidden manna, I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Uh, this is in keeping with what um, uh, what Paul uh, taught, uh, what both Jesus and Peter teach in First uh, Peter. Jesus and the Gospels, Peter and First Peter. Uh, there are two huge analogies uh, that are used to describe the church. One is a body. Uh, Christ is the head. And the believers are members of the body. And the Spirit of God dwells in the body, and the members are to build up the body of Christ. That's one analogy, right? That's used in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that kind of thing. The other is not the imagery of the body, it's an imagery of the building or the temple. Okay? Uh, so the temple, foundation, uh, built upon the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone who holds the whole building together, the Spirit dwells in the building, and the individual believer is a living stone. Living stones in the building. Right? So this is the imagery. Does that make sense? Right? And so both of these pictures are presenting the same thing, that we are members of one another, Christ is the head, uh, and we are in the body, and the spirit dwells in the body. Uh, now, the problem we have presently is that the head is not present. This is what the uh, pastor was preaching on earlier today. Right? Uh, and so the relationship we have with Christ is with his body, in the body of Christ, building one another up, so we all attain the unity of faith. This is Ephesians 4. To a mature man, so we're not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. So it's through the words of the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, uh, those who are gifted and given to the body for the building up of the body, for we are all members of one another. Which is why um, our emphasis towards this individualized faith in the last few centuries, that, that pendulum has swung too far. So you think you can actually be. Uh, just me and Jesus, and that's okay. And I, you had a quote relationship with Jesus. I was one of the students this week. I said, "Well, tell me about that relationship." He said, "Well, I commune with him." I said, "Okay, what does commune mean?" That's a short for. That's a short word for communicate. I said, "How are you communicating with Jesus?" He said, "Well, I pray to him." I said, "And." Does he speak back to you? And see, this was in the context of Peter, John, that uh, the Father sent the incarnate word, the word given in the Old Testament about the Christ, walked into the scene in the New Testament, and he gave his words to the apostles and those uh, apostles. So here we have the words of the apostles and prophets. And so how has God revealed himself to his people? the apostles and prophets. Therefore, the church, the body, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He could have made this a whole lot easier and just spoke to you individually, everyone. Not how he did it. He has revealed himself through his word, through the apostles and prophets, and then the elders are to teach the 
once for all faith delivered to the saints. Delivered to the saints through who? Whom? Whatever. I don't know. Apostles and prophets. Okay. Uh, and so in light of Christ's absence, we are left here. I'm going to be with the Father. I'm leaving you apostles on the earth. You are to teach the word. And then after uh, they are leaving, so at the end of the apostles' life, what do they do? What is called the remember? He sends out Titus and Timothy to do what? Appoint elders in every city. And those elders were, what was their qualification for being elders? Teaching sound doctrine. Teaching the faith. The faith for once for all delivered to the saints. The words of the apostles and prophets. Okay. Uh, and so we operate on the words of the apostles and prophets uh, through the ministry of the Spirit until the head returns to redeem the body, which to, um, to uh, resurrect the body, to save the body. Making sense? Okay. Pretty important then to learn the words of the apostles and prophets because there are false prophets and false apostles among us. Right? And so we are to put them to the test. Now, if God is speaking to you directly and individually, what do I care if someone claims that they're an apostle or prophet? They do whatever. Okay? Not how it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? So we learn the words of apostles and prophets. Uh, and that is what matures us in the faith uh, so that we are not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. And therefore, we recognize that we're not, it's just not me and Jesus, and he's carrying me along sometimes on the beach. Right? Sometimes we walk together, and sometimes he's carried. Remember that footprints in the sand thing? Uh, if you're old enough, you know that others are like, what are you talking about? Right? Uh, all the old students always laugh when I say something. Um, I don't know. Uh, we are in this together, so we are to bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Care for one another. Uh, if you see your brother in need, what do you do? You help them. Okay. All right. So next week, uh, somebody's going to remind me. We're going to come back and we're going to pick it up with the church at Thyatira. Okay. And now pay attention as you're reading this. All of those to him who overcomes, I will. All of those things that they receive or benefit from, you're going to see those in chapters four through chapters nineteen with the saints up in heaven. Okay. And so we'll talk about that when we get good. All right. Close our word of prayer and we're done. Lord, thanks again for our time today uh, for Pastor Sam and his willingness to, uh, to be honest with us and God be here. So help us in our failure. Help us when we want to take matters into our own hands. And Lord, uh, when we see our uh, fellow brethren in need, uh, help us to, to stand the help of them and to care for one another, to love one another better. And in so doing, the world will know that, that we are your disciples because of that. So, uh, Lord, in all of this, uh, we uh, give you thanks, and uh, this is our very important. Amen. Thanks, guys.